you are Locked On Angels, your daily Los Angeles Angels podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hola, mi amigos. Welcome to Locked On Angels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, now brought to you by Hotels.com. You're locked in with Taylor Blake Ward. I really don't know why I went with Spanish to start it off, but it works out. Today is November 26, 2019, Tuesday, November 26, 2019 to be exact. We are doing our Sunday night Twitter question answer where we take your questions from Twitter. I answer most of them on Twitter through midnight on Sunday night, and I bring the best ones to the show here on Tuesday. So, you want to be a part of the show? Make sure you're following us on Twitter, at LockedOnAngels, and you can follow me personally, at Taylor Blake Ward. I send out that tweet at about 9-ish Pacific time in the late night of Sunday, and I'll answer all the way through midnight. I even got some on Monday that I answered, so uh, you want to be a part of the show and you want your questions answered, make sure you're doing that. Also, make sure to download or subscribe to today's show via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast outlet you're listening to this show on. Also, make sure to stop by LockedOnAngels.com or Who'sOnFirst.WordPress.com to check out our latest content. Let's get to your questions. We're going to start off with some miscellaneous ones, and I think we're at the point in the offseason where I'm starting every show with a NASCAR question. For those of you unfamiliar with the show, uh, I've raced cars my whole life. My, you know, I'm come from a racing family, so obviously this is something that's close to my heart. So thank you. I uh, can't hit with runners in scoring position for asking this question. Although I don't like your name about Sean McVay being overrated. He says, is Jeff Gordon a top five driver in the history of NASCAR? Absolutely. He is uh, arguably top four in my opinion. I think the championships kind of the seven championships for Earnhardt Petty and Jimmy Johnson obviously bring it in. But yeah, Jeff Gordon's in that conversation. Uh, I don't even think it's worth mentioning top five. I think it's worth mentioning top four. I think if you want to argue that he's better than Jimmy Johnson, I think you could even do that. So, uh, Next one up here comes from Derek Lindsay at AngelsFan2756 says, Do you think the electronic sign-stealing situation could hurt the chances of Astros players making the Hall of Fame? Uh, so I hope that it doesn't, but thinking about this, there's only really two Astros right now that are in this conversation, and one of them is Justin Verlander, who would go in with a Tigers cap. Um, So I don't think it really matters there. The other is Jose Altuve, who, you know, if if he gets to that point of becoming a Hall of Famer, I don't really think this is going to really ruin uh, people's opinions of him. I think they realize what a talent he is. And, uh, yeah, I I hope that that wouldn't, but it's something we don't have to worry about for a long, long time. (laughs) So... Let's go to this one here. Uh, let's go with this one from Jorge Aguirre. Uh, <laughs> wow, Aguirre at Phenomalosaur. I guess that's a dinosaur reference. Um, he says, what's your favorite movie that has featured the angels in it? I See, I'm not a big fan of angels in the outfield, um, but I guess I'll go with that one because I like Tony Danza and Matthew McConaughey and uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, so I'll go with that one. Um how about this one from Ryan Mancuso? At Ryan Mancuso says, People are freaking out about how far we have to go, and we only have seven or only won 72 games, but we basically gave up in September and had no Otani Upton for first six weeks. So, yes, there is still a large gap between us and the top of the division, but not as large as it seems. Your thoughts? Uh, well, that's a lot to take in. So, 
Let me say this. Let's, let's break this down. So people are freaking out about how far we have to go and we only won 72 games. The Angels were better than the 72 games that they uh, won or the 90 games they lost last year. Um, a lot of, you know, there was all kinds of different impact there. I think that on, you know, realistically, they probably should have been a 70, mid to high 70 win team. Um, so I'm not totally concerned that they lost 70 or they lost 90 games. Um, this giving up in September, now no baseball players really giving up uh but yeah you didn't have otani you didn't have upton um so you got to see what upton is going to be you know he's such a streaky hitter uh you have to see if he is the guy that he's been in his career i think he will be i think he'll be one of those guys that's a very important bat but uh yeah shohei otani obviously a big addition we're going to touch on that actually i'll use that for the next question here um but it says there's still a large gap between us at the top of the division but not as large as it seems you know, looking at this, you figure in that it's it's just very different composed. Uh, the Astros, at the end of this season, have a lot of questions that are going to be coming up about who they're going to bring back, who they're not going to bring back. So that's a big question. But still, the Astros are really far ahead of everyone else. And the athletics continue to develop properly. Um, there's a little bit more money going into Oakland now. So, yeah, there is still a gap. I think the Angels can close that gap, but they have to make these big signings. Uh, Garrett Cole, which, you know, it took what? How, how many minutes in are we? So this is uh, minute five, so it took us five minutes to talk about Garrett Cole. That's a record. Um, you have to get guys like that. You have to do things like this to kind of add those wins. You have to keep going internally using Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh, uh, see how guys grow like Griffin Canning. But, yeah, there is still a fair gap. It's not crazy. Um, but I still think there's a good 10-15 game gap from the Angels and the Astros, and that may be remaining through 2020, but 2021, that's a different story. Now, speaking of Shohei Otani, this one was a good one from Stephen Fangmeyer at Racing Cowboy 3. says, how much of an impact on the win count does Otani have coming back this spring? Now, I'm just going off projections here. Um, Shohei Otani is expected to be worth 5.3 war next season. Now that's just a projection. Sometimes that can be better than what the projection is, or sometimes it could be worse, but let's use that as a basis 5.3. And last year he was worth 1.8 war. So 5.3 minus 1.8, that's 4.3. And then you take the eight. So three and a half wins more that's the projected value that Shohei Otani is bringing by being a two-way player and coming back fully healthy. So, yeah, I mean, you add three wins just in Shohei Otani alone. That's a pretty decent margin just for one player. Uh, great question, and it's a thinker, but look into this. Look at projections. See if Griffin Canning can improve. See what Andrew Heaney's projections are going to be. Obviously, projections are simply that. But you are going to have guys that are going to improve. There are internal players that will improve the Angels. Um, so keep an eye on that. And I think it's great for you if you want to go home and study this. Go to Fangraphs. Check out each player's page. Look at what the projections are based on what they did. And you can kind of see how the Angels start stacking up on paper from where they were last year. Now I've got a trio of questions here from at Calvin Harash and uh, Calvin, just so you know, I am going to answer all three of these and I'm going to answer them in succession here, but I'm never answering three questions from someone again. So uh, starting off with this one, it says with Mickey Calloway as our new pitching coach, do you believe we're going to see an uptick in breaking ball usage along with better overall breaking balls throughout the entire staff? I know with the Indians, he was often credited for this. So looking at the angels, I want to make this known. Looking at the Angels the last three years, their fastball usage, 
went from 63, 63.3% in 2017 to 58.4% in 2018 to 47.1% last year. So a drop uh, in three years of essentially, what's that, 15%. And in one year, 11%. So, yes, I think that the Angels and Mickey Callaway are both on the breaking ball train. I think that that's something that they're definitely focusing in on. And I think that both philosophies kind of match up. And that may be why Mickey Callaway was brought in. He was definitely credited for improving breaking balls in Cleveland. So, yeah, the Angels do have a chance to really improve here. Um, is throwing breaking balls necessarily a great thing? Sometimes it does assist in strikeouts at times, but you still have to make your pitches. So uh, it, it will assist. I think you're going to see less fastballs, but I also think that you know if a fastball is the right call, I think you're going there. So one, uh, two more from Calvin here. It says, with strikeout rates being high last year, but the Angels being one of the lowest strikeout teams last year, what can we expect with the addition of John Maley? Can we expect a shift in organization philosophy again, even with Jeremy Reed sticking around? Um, so Joe Madden, I'm going to go to Joe Madden for this one. Joe Madden keeps saying that the Angels need to play the Angels' way. And when Joe was around in the late 90s, early 2000s, contact was a huge part of that. It had nothing to do with um, hitting home runs. I mean, that you think about the big moments in Angels history, especially 20, uh, 2010. Two, um, it was extra base hits, but putting the ball in play was their bread and butter, and that's what had you know led them to a World Series title. And also, the Angels really do like these high contact rates. They don't like strikeouts because of the percentages. Uh, you figure you put a ball in play as opposed to striking out the plate, your percentages, even if it's an out, still rise. Uh, for a chance at getting on base so yeah they really like high contact strikeouts at the plate are something they don't like in run production but they really do like it in run prevention as we see with you know k percentage k per nine or strikeouts per nine um so strikeouts when you're looking at this angels team it's kind of like a flip it's like we want to get the most outs we can at the plate defensively and have the least amount of outs we possibly can at the plate offensively. Um, the Angels aren't one of those teams that's really selling out. You know, they're not one of the they're not like Tampa, where it's one of those true percentage kind of things where it's either a walk, strikeout, or home run. The Angels definitely do like uh, balls in play and high contact rates. So I don't think you're going to see a change there. Um, obviously, you know, going back to what I said about the pitchers, players still have to make that contact. But when you get these guys that have these high contact rates and they've shown it throughout their career, it obviously makes a, a you know the margin for error a little less. One more for Calvin here says, with minor league realignment being talked about, do you think it is reasonable that when clubs are reaffiliating, the teams are going to place an emphasis on having their minor league teams in the same time zone? Also, will this be po- will this also possibly start the idea of majors realignment? So. I don't know about the majors realignment. Um, I can't really think of a way to improve that right now. I'm sure you could. I'm sure there's a way that you can. Um, But as for minor league realignment, so this is in regards to uh, Major League Baseball possibly taking away 42 minor league teams from the the minors. Um, I touched on it last week, lost my cool a little bit. But if this does happen, there's 42 teams that are missing or no longer in existence, there will be minor league realignment. Is it reasonable to think that teams are going to place emphasis on having their minor league teams in the same time zone? Yes, and we've already seen this. Um, baseball, it's still a little bit different because of how things have worked out. Um, obviously, there's still some room for, uh, how do I put that, uh, growth here. 
But you look at the NHL and how they made an AHL align, uh, realignment and kind of moved their minor league teams around. And the AHL is AAA hockey, but watching us, you know, being out here on the West Coast, we watched the LA Kings move their team to Ontario. If you're familiar with California, you know how close that is. Edmonton moved to Bakersfield, which is in about an hour's time zone difference. Um, the Anaheim Ducks moved to San Diego, which is a kind of a short one hour, hour and a half train ride north. Uh, San Jose shares the same arena as their AAA affiliate, the San Jose Barracuda. So, yes, I think that the. Uh, I think that baseball could really work on this, but there aren't a lot of teams that are – minor league baseball still has to find some growth to really place teams into that AAA category. You know, there's not a lot of teams that are within state, uh, but we already see it a lot. You know, what is it, uh, the Iowa Cubs and the Chicago Cubs. Um, I think that the worst one is probably the Washington Nationals and the Fresno Grizzlies. That's going completely across the United States, but – yeah, I think that this is something you're going to see. So, Calvin, thank you for your questions. I had to catch my breath there. I apologize. I'm out of breath because of you, Calvin. It's your fault. No, it's all right. A few more here before we had to break. This one from NM Baseball 52 says, In 2019, before Luis Renjifo was called up, he had played a few games in left field and AAA. He also played third base and right field in the minors. When he was called up, he only played second base and shortstop. Is Renjifo going to be strictly a second base shortstop next season, or will he also get reps at third base in the outfield. Now, I do vaguely remember Luis Ranjifo playing third base. Uh, I've got to think back to it. I'm going to pull up the numbers. You might hear me typing in the back here. But Luis Ranjifo, 33 games at third base in the minors, uh, 26 games in the outfield. I think that what you're doing here is you're realizing that Luis Ranjifo is kind of the value – defensively is in the middle of the infield shortstop and second base now if you need to you can move him around to third base but David Fletcher well let me let me stop myself David Fletcher plays a fine third base there's absolutely nothing wrong with the way he plays third base but man you get him and Andrelton Simmons mixed around in that middle infield that is really special to watch so yeah maybe you do want to move Luis Renjifo to third base um (laughs) I'm just contemplating David Fletcher and Andrelton Simmons middle of the day and that's what I'm thinking of uh you you can move him around in the outfield uh, yeah you can make him kind of that super utility guy but I think that if you're kind of just trying to figure out the entire value of your team you want above average defense at certain positions you know if you have the opportunity to have an average defender at third and above average defender at second you take that or instead of having an average defender at third and average defender at second So I think that that's kind of where you're going to look at this. A great question, nonetheless. Now this one here from Brian Suarez at Brian Suarez 33 says, if Joe Adele impresses in spring training and looks to be the starter, what about signing him to one of those seven, eight-year extensions like with Eloy Jimenez? What would something like that look like? Now, yeah, this would be great for the team. The Angels would love to be able to do this and secure him for all of arbitration and maybe a year beyond that which would be that seventh year unless they call him up, you know, use uh, service time manipulation, and then they could go for the eighth year, get that extra year of arbitration. And for Joe Adele, it'd be financial stability. I think the problem here is Joe Adele is a Scott Boris client, and Scott Boris isn't stupid. He's going to sit there and be like, look, Joe, you could probably make 10, 15, 20 more million dollars by just doing arbitration, just dealing with that. And Joe, you know, might be saying, you know, hey, I, I kind of want the financial stability. And then Scott comes back and he 
that's the thing. He has the best agent in baseball, and you can hate Scott Boris or love Scott Boris, but he is the reason why you don't like him is he's the best guy at his job. Now, this said, you know, if they if something like this were to occur, and you're talking about putting Joe Adele through, you know, you're paying through his arbitration, you're giving him that extra year possibly. I think you're going to look at something like what Eloy Jimenez had. Maybe not Ronald Acuna Jr. just yet because Ronald Acuna Jr. signed it at the end. Yes, after his rookie year. I'm thinking back. Yes, at the uh, after his rookie year. Um, so what? I can't remember what Eloy Jimenez signed for. What did he sign for? I can pull that up. So deal with me typing away and being all blah, blah, blah. But, uh, I mean, in reality, I don't see this being something that Scott Boris is going to tell his client to do. Um, Eloy Jimenez signed a six-year, $43 million deal. That and two team options. Ooh, that's kind of nice. Two team options. Well, team options. See, the player options where it's going to really change things. Scott Boris would want the player option. He wouldn't want that team option. So I think that that's kind of where this comes into play. I don't think that Joe Adele would sign a six-year, $43 million deal, even though suddenly he has 43 or, you know, coming up on $43 million guaranteed over the next few years. He's going to get more on that. He's going to get more in arbitration. So I just don't see Scott Boris signing off on something like that. And I don't see Joe Adele. I think he's a smart kid, and I think he knows his finances pretty well. One more before we had to break this one from at May Vander or me, M-E-I underscore Vander. Sorry, Vander. Um, says, what's the general consensus on Matt Theis in 2018 and going into 2019? He seemed to be viewed as a solid prospect and potentially the first baseman of the future. But while he had his moments this past year, overall it seemed to be a struggle for both him both at the plate and in the field. He didn't look too great in the field at third base, so it seems like first base is where he should stay but his bat hasn't quite translated to the big leagues yet. Has his stock gone down? Does he need more time or both? Wow, that was a really long question. Um, so let's start from the top here. What's the general consensus on Matt Theis? And I'm going to go into what you said after that. You said in 2018 going into 2019, seemed like a good prospect, potentially first baseman of the future, had his moments, overall seemed to struggle. So Matt Theis was never viewed as a top 100 prospect, and he was viewed, you know, he was definitely viewed as a prospect, but he was kind of viewed as a second tier, third tier first baseman, which, you know, that's a, still a starting position, but it's not like he's going to have any all star votes anytime coming to him soon. So, yeah, you're looking at this guy. He's a pretty good prospect. He has the chance to be a starter in the, in the future. Um, but now you make him versatile. You move him around and you make him a first baseman, a third baseman. And you start kind of making him multi-versatile. Um, when you said he didn't look great in the field at third, I thought he looked fantastic. And you have to keep in mind, he's only been playing third base for a few months. I mean, he started playing third base in, like, June or something like that. Maybe a month, maybe May. But, no, I think for what he has and what he's done, I think he actually looks really comfortable and really good at third base. Um as for his bat not translating to the big leagues yet, you're right, it hasn't. But that's just something that's going on. You know, Matt Theis is 20-something years old, 24 years old, something like that. Um, and you're kind of judging this on 100 to 150 plate appearances. That's not enough to really make an assessment on how good of a hitter he's going to be. Now, obviously, if he comes out and does what Juan Soto does, you can start saying, yeah, you know, this guy's really good. But Matt Theis isn't Juan Soto. He's not Ronald Acuna Jr. He's not uh, Shohei Otani. Um, so, yeah, you want to see him kind of get these reps. 
didn't have a lot of reps in AAA Salt Lake, which I think that was kind of a, a big impact in a sense. So, yeah, I, I give him more time, whether that's with the Angels or down in AAA, wherever it is with him. But the general consensus on Matt Theis to answer your question, I just took the really long route around to answer one question, but the general consensus on Matt Theis is that he's going to be a starter, maybe a platoon kind of guy, and be a second, third tier kind of guy. He's not really going to be that. He's never going to get really all-star votes. Maybe he gets a handful, but he's never going to be an all-star. He's going to be a high walk percentage kind of guy, not strike out a ton, has a little bit of power. That ranges to a little bit more of like a sub-average starter, and I think that's the consensus on Matt Theis, whether that be at third base, where if his defense can progress, that changes things. But if he's at first base, that's just something. He doesn't have the, the power, and he's not a big guy, and his defense isn't great at first. So it's not like he's going to be something special over at first base. Great question either way. I really appreciate all those questions to start off the show. Great first segment. But before we head to our second segment, let's talk about Breaking Tea. Now, Breaking Tea is a t-shirt company that ties in with the passion moments of sports. These passion moments happen with every team and every fan base, and then Breaking Tea jumps on that moment to make t-shirts that make the moment live forever. When these moments happen, we will be joining in with Breaking Tea to make these t-shirts available to you, the listeners, through www.breakingtea.com backslash locked on. And I got to tell you guys, I really do love this t-shirt company. They do a great job. I have some concepts that I'm working on that I'm working on with them, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So head on over to www.breakingtea.com backslash locked on to check them out. We'll be right back with more Locked On Angels right after a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Locked On Angels, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You're locked in with Taylor Blake Ward. In our first segment, we took some of the miscellaneous questions from our Sunday Night Twitter question and answer. Here in the second segment, we're going to talk a little bit about trades, free agents, things along those lines. And before I get into anything, as many of you know, and if many of you have tuned into the show before, I'm not going to speculate on who the Angels are trading for, who they're going to sign. That just wouldn't be proper reporting. It would be fake news in a sense. But I I think that we can get a little bit of an idea and concept of what the Angels are kind of looking at in this offseason. We're going to start on the catching market. And this is kind of a – it's a question that was asked multiple times. It comes from Craig V, at Craig underscore V, Omar at Omar underscore McBuckets, and Skylar Gustafson at SkyPaul0925. And essentially it was all the same question. They all asked it in different sense, but it's the same question. It says, with uh, Yasmani Grandal and Travis Darno off the market. Who should the Angels target for a catcher next year? Now, this kind of I can answer in an opinion based. I think that Jason Castro is definitely one of those guys that would be great if you think that you can afford Wilson Contreras on the uh, trade market. I think that that's an obvious upgrade and someone that is an impact player uh, that you could bring in. There are still quite a few catchers on the market that. I think merit, you know, looking at least into what you would assume could be some fair contracts. And, uh, you know, you're not talking long-term here. These aren't guys that are suddenly coming in long-term. But Robinson Torinos is still a free agent. Jason Castro, Alex Avila, uh, Russell Martin. I mean, Russell Martin, he's 37 years old, but he can still play. I think he's fantastic. Martin Maldonado, of course. And you kind of – it's getting smaller. The list is definitely getting smaller when it comes to the catcher's market. But I think there's still a few guys that there's a sense that it could really make sense on a few of these guys, particularly maybe Torinos and uh, um, who would I say? Jason Castro. <laughs> See, you lose your train of thought. Now you know that I'm recording live, right? 
um, I think those two guys are kind of the top of the market. And obviously, if Wilson Contreras really is an option, I think that you at least pursue that, see what you can do with that. Staying on the catcher's market, this next question comes from Andy Lee, at Andy with two Y's, two L's, and two E's. Uh, that didn't make sense, but when you see his Twitter handle, it will. Uh, he says, Omar Navarez is available. Would we have to gut a lot of our farm like we possibly would for Contreras? Now, Omar Navarez, he is a catcher, but, man, he, he is horrendous defensively. He's really bad. I mean, realistically, he's kind of an offensive platoon at first base, and I don't know. I'm sure I could look it up, but I don't even know if he plays first base or not. Um, he's a great you know, batter. He can hit. There's no denying that he can hit, but his catching ability is so miserable. Uh, I think if if someone finds value in his in him, it would be in the bat alone. So I don't really see a sense in the Angels really pursuing someone like Omar Navarez. Uh, but you know, there's always the the mystery of adding a bat. Maybe he is a platoon, which we're going to talk about here soon. And uh, I just don't see it. What the cost would be. Ah, I don't know, because he's viewed in so many different ways. I just don't know what that would be. This one from Bob Gibson at BG Reporting says, Catcher still a need for the Halos? Question mark. Yeah, Bob, it, it is. Um, I, I, I know Bob, so I can kind of tease him a little bit. He says, keep hearing Stassi's name come up. I still think Hedges makes sense as a clear upgrade. Now, I had to look this up. Now, Austin Hedges is a better defensive catcher than Max Stassi, but it's not by a wide enough margin to really uh, facilitate, you know, saying it's an upgrade. It's going to sound weird to you guys, but Max Stassi is actually a better hitter than Austin Hedges, or at least has been over his career. Now, obviously, you look at Max Stassi, and you look at him last year, 3 for 42. He had a 163 on base percentage, so he created an out 84% of the time he stepped up to the plate. However, that's in less than 50 plate appearances. I don't think that that really merits uh, – a strong opinion it shouldn't form a strong opinion on how he's viewed as a offensive player uh when you look back 2013 to 2018 surprisingly he actually has a 96 ops plus that merits that he actually is around a league average hitter i know you're probably laughing because of how he was so bad he was terrible offensively last year um but if he can be the hitter that he's capable of being, you know, maybe he's like a 80, 90 weighted runs created plus kind of guy or uh, OPS plus kind of guy. He's he's a better hitter than Austin Hedges. So it's really, you know, you're pulling straws here. Um, I don't think he's honestly an upgrade. I think you're essentially getting something very similar. So I don't think that Austin Hedges is a clear upgrade. And Bob, I, I know that you're like fighting for this. I really do. I, I, I know Bob, I you know, he's a good guy and I uh, really respect him. I know that he's really fighting for Hedges over Stassi. Um, Bob, if you're tuning in, I just happen to disagree. And I, I think that the numbers kind of relay that as well. Obviously not from the last two months of last season, though. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's go on to some Rule 5 questions here. This one from JR at JDJ Ramos says, Which Rule 5 draft players would you select? Now, Personally, the Rule 5 for me, I'm not big on it. Uh, I mean, I, the Rule 5 is really cool. It changes the lives for a lot of players. Um, it gets J.J. Cooper of Baseball America really excited, <laughs> as it should. But the Rule 5, you look at the success rate of the Rule 5, there's maybe one every two, three years that actually turns into a starter for a team. Uh, more likely than none, the player that's drafted in the Rule 5 is actually sent back to their uh, original team, or they just aren't any, there's no value uh, after they're selected. Um, 
Personally, who I would pick is anyone that's like a, you know, throws 100 miles per hour kind of deal. Um, there's a guy on the Padres, oh, Doris, uh, Doris Valdez. He's six foot eight, throws in the high 90s. Uh, you know, he has a usable slider, but the, he was hit around even though he's throwing that hard. So it's like, and he never made it to AAA. So it's like, eh, you know, where do you kind of simmer on that? Personally, on the rule five, I would not pick someone. And that leads us to the next question here from Chris Chapman at ChapDaddy76. says, I know that the Angels roster is at 40, but if they move some players via trade before the Rule 5 draft, is there any player or players that would interest them? Now, I can't speak for the Angels on this. So I, I can't say I can't answer that. But he also says, personally, I like Sterling Sharp and would not mind seeing a spot for him. What are your thoughts on him? Now, I can definitely share my opinions on Sterling Sharp. He is in the... Uh, Washington Nationals organization. He's kind of a two-pitch guy, but he also has length to him. He's a starter. It's kind of rare to find a starter in the Rule 5, and I think that he's kind of the best bet at getting a starter if you're going to take one in the Rule 5. But he's still a two-pitch guy, so more kind of a long-relief kind of guy, but very athletic. I I think, you know, if if you're going to take a gamble in the Rule 5, I wouldn't mind holding on to him for a full year, or at least holding on to him for a few months, especially if you're a team that can afford that kind of luxury. And I think that that would really be a nice pickup. So if I were to pick in the Rule 5, I think Sterling Sharp would be at the top of my list. But personally, I just don't see anyone in the Rule 5 this year that I would take. Moving into some free agency questions, this one from Mondo Burger at Migoro03 says, in terms of years and dollars, do you think that Zach Wheeler would be a better investment than Garrett Cole since he's most certainly not getting the length Cole is? Taking in consideration that $30 million a year is too much for one pitcher, we can afford to get multiple. Yeah, $30 million a year, that could actually get you quite a handful of starting pitchers, but none of them are going to have the impact that Garrett Cole is. He, you don't find guys like this. You don't suddenly attain guys like this or acquire guys like this. This is a bona fide ace, and it's hard to find those. There's, you know, In baseball, there may be a handful at any given time that you could actually use the term ace. So yeah, $30 million is a lot of money, but you really need to make that investment. Uh, As for Zach Wheeler, I was talking to a scout the other day, and he said, looking at Patrick Corbin last year and Zach Wheeler this year, they're about the same age. Patrick Corbin was coming off uh, a six-win year and a three-win year before. Zach Wheeler essentially kind of equated that because he was a four, four four-and-a-half win pitcher. So it's kind of almost matching in a sense Patrick Corbin got six years, $140 million, so $23 million a year. Are you going to spend $23 million a year on Zach Wheeler, who has the injury risk? And, it, you know, I found that really interesting, that question. Is Zach Wheeler really better than Patrick Corbin? Now, obviously, you have the lefty-righty conversation, which changes things. But they're the same age, coming off near, you know, back-to-back years. There's projection is kind of similar. I... Uh, I don't know if I'm giving Zach Wheeler $20 million. And I thought this conversation was kind of interesting. So um, as for the better investment, it's Garrett Cole. And it's not close. Uh, it's not it's not close by any means. If you have a chance to get an ace, even if he flames out for the last two years or three years of his contract, the years prior are going to matter and, and be very important to you. Going on, uh, staying with kind of Garrett Cole, of course, we got this one from Cody Keen at Halo Fan for Life ninety four says is Strasburg Wheeler a good combo to sign if the Angels can't sign Colin Wheeler? Now what I told Cody here was uh, that 
Hershey bars are the best chocolate bar, but chocolate is chocolate. So, <laughs> I mean, so yes, Garrett Cole is the best. But Steven Strasburg, he is a top 10, top 15 pitcher in baseball. So, yeah, if you can't get Garrett Cole, but you get Steven Strasburg, that's a pretty good chocolate bar that you just got. You know, um, yeah, it's fine. You know, um, obviously, you want Garrett Cole. You want the age a little bit there. Garrett Cole is a little bit better. He's better than Steven Strasburg. But Steven Strasburg is a fantastic pitcher. And with his workload management, you kind of know that he's still a bit fresh. Uh, His athleticism is going to carry him. I think that, yeah, it doesn't, it does matter. But losing out on Cole and still getting Strasburg, that's not a horrible offseason. This one here from at ZRay321 says, honestly, who's a good bullpen at this winter? We're going to be solid <laughs> to end the game with Key, Ty, and Robles, but what can we add to make it even better? Relievers are hard to gauge. Uh, you look at relievers. even you know There are very few that are really successful long-term. Um, even a guy that you saw like Houston Street a few years ago. you know Houston Street, one of the best closers of all time, suddenly he's struggling to even make outs here. Relievers are just a challenging thing to kind of bring into the organization. So what I said here was quantity to find quality. Not quantity over quality, but quantity to find quality. You get guys on minor league deals, guys like Daniel Hudson. um, Maybe you find, you know, I'm using examples of the past, but you get Blake Parker on a waiver claim. You get Kirby Yates on a waiver claim. You lost out on Kirby Yates, which was a shame because he's an obvious all-star down in San Diego there, and he's been a successful reliever for some time. But you kind of go into this market. You go and look, and you say, look, we're going to give a bunch of guys minor league deals, and let's hope that one or two of these guys – you know, you give 10 guys a minor league deal and one of them clicks, you didn't spend a lot of money on a reliever. But you still got a pretty solid reliever. So I think that that's kind of the direction that you have to go when looking at relievers. Unless you have a guy with real success, Will Smith would have been that guy, uh, first signee of the winter pretty much when it came to Atlanta. Um, so I think that that's kind of where you got to go. This one here, and I <laughs> thank you, JT, for this. says, I know you don't like to speculate. I don't. Thank you, JT. But do you think trades are option two? Feels as though the front office knows if Garrett Cole or Zach Wheeler don't come, they have trade options. I think it's tough to lose comp picks and also give up Marshawn, Adams, etc. So, yeah, trades are an option. The Angels are going to improve any way they can. Um, obviously, you are going to lose comp picks if you do sign um, Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Zach Wheeler, things like this. But that's you lose, You sign Garrett Cole, that's worth the two picks. It, it's you know That really makes sense for losing those two picks. Then you start trading. The Angels aren't stupid. They're not going to trade Brandon Marsh or Hector Yan or Jordan Adams or whoever for – something that's not worth the same value there you know this is a smart front office they're not stupid they know what they're doing and I'm not saying that you say that but yeah they're gonna find any way that they can improve the entire organization whether that is a trade or whether that's a free agent signing and um, they're looking at all options even waiver claims are an option to try and improve this team moving on to another one here this one from Carlos at Angels fan 04 says who platoons with Pujols at first base next season Walsh, Thice, or someone from outside the organization. Now, I just answered a question saying that I don't speculate, but of course I do. I talk to my friends and I say, yeah, you know what, the Angels, maybe this is a guy that I think the Angels should sign. This is someone that I think the Angels should sign. This is not someone the Angels are going to sign. 
someone I think they should sign is Eric Thames. Um, he can play, you know, a little bit of left and right field, but he's a lefty bat. It can play first base. You can platoon him real easy, and you can move him around. I think that he's a guy that if he's sitting around in mid late January, I go and offer him a one year. $8 million deal, maybe even less, maybe $6 million deal and see if he takes it. I think that's great. If not, Jared Walsh and Matt Theis, you give them the opportunity. Once again, you see if they can come together and, and be major league hitters and, you know, help out Albert Pujols over at first base. Cause he's going to, he's not going to be playing there every single day and you need that defensive uh, capability. Jared Walsh is a very, a very good defensive first baseman and Matt Theis is showing that he has the versatility to move around the infield. Maybe you move Tommy Listella to first base. Those are kind of the options that you play with when it comes to platooning at first base. Next one here comes from Brian Suarez at Brian Suarez 33 says, I know the list is minuscule, but are there any players that may be available that you would consider including Adele in a trade for? So if I was going to trade Joe Adele for a player that's potentially available right now, uh, there is one that comes to mind as Francisco Lindor. And outside of that, I don't think that I would. And that goes for essentially any top five, top 10 prospect. I, I don't know if I would really add anyone in. Uh, Joe Adele is a pretty special piece, but Frankie Lindor, man, I uh, his value, yeah, that's probably the one guy that's maybe available right now that I would, I would definitely contemplate uh, having Joe Adele on the move, but don't quote me on that. Uh, this one here from Matthew Briggs at MB Angels fan. In addition to Robbie Ray, do we know any other pitchers available via trade? So it sounds like Matt Boyd is available. John Gray of the Rockies is available. Um, those are kind of the two. Fabian Ardaya of The Athletic had a great article a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, about this. But it's still relatively a short list on guys of somewhat impact value. Um, obviously, you know, I think the Mariners – is Wade LeBlanc still with them? Does Jerry DePoto get Wade LeBlanc again? I mean, I'm sure Wade LeBlanc may be available. Um, no disrespect to Wade LeBlanc. I think he's a fantastic pitcher, but you get my concept. Uh, when it comes to the – I think the top three right now on the market would be Robbie Ray, uh, John Gray, and um, Matt Boyd. So One more here says uh, – this is from Aaron the Best at Aaron the Less – so you're the best or the last, Aaron? <laughs> I know Aaron, too. He's a good guy, so I can tease him. I think he is uh, Aaron the best, of course. He says, any possible Andrew Heaney-like pickups for the Angels to poach? Now, poach is a potent word. I'm not sure that is going to be uh, – I think that front offices across baseball are pretty keen on what's going on. Um, but as for guys that uh, – so you're talking about maybe guys that are very close to the majors here that could be tradable. I think the Atlanta Braves have a ton of pitchers that are right there on the cusp here. Uh, Bryce Wilson obviously has been a major leaguer, maybe a Patrick Weagle kind of guy. Um, the Braves just have so much pitching depth that I think that they could actually, I think that they could find a way to trade a guy and get some value back. So I think that if you're going to quote-unquote poach a team, I think that you're going to use the Atlanta Braves as that option because they have such a surplus of pitchers. Now, no one's really getting rid of pitchers because of the necessity that they are, but the Braves are in good hands, and they kind of know what their future is right now. So adding, you know, finding a way to add someone for the cost of this, I think that the Braves are the team that you kind of look to, and you kind of look to those AAA starters to kind of figure this way out. 
Thanks, Aaron, the best for that question. And thank all of you for all of your questions from our Sunday night Twitter question and answer. That's all we have for today's show. You want to be a part of next week's show, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Lockdown Angels. You can follow me personally at Taylor Blake Ward and look for that tweet about 9 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday night saying something along the lines of send me any and all your baseball questions. I'll answer them here through midnight. Best ones make the show on Tuesday. Also, make sure to download today's show or any of the episodes through the Lockdown Podcast Network via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that you find this podcast. Also, you can find our latest content at Lockdown Angels and who's on firstball.wordpress.com. Reminder that today's show is brought to you by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own through Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. Thanks again for tuning in to today's show. For Lockdown Angels, I'm Taylor Blake Ward saying stay nasty, Anaheim. We'll see you soon.